This is Talk of the Town, and I'm Bob Cudmore on Magic 590 plus 100.5. We're also heard on two signals in the North Country, 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. My guest is Patricia Walsh Chadwick, author of the memoir, Little Sister. Patricia Walsh Chadwick was born in the late 1940s, and her parents joined an extreme Roman Catholic commune, or center, where Patricia was raised until she was ousted from the group in the mid-1960s. After a rough patch, getting used to life on the outside, if you will, Patricia earned a degree from Boston University, entered the financial field, became successful, married. She now has two grown children. She's been an expert guest on financial TV, cable networks, and mentors young people. She lives in Old Greenwich, Connecticut. Can you tell me, Patricia, about the founders and rulers of this Catholic community or center where you grew grew up? Who was Father Leonard Feeney? Father Leonard Feeney was a Jesuit priest who, in the early 1940s, was really renowned in the United States. He was a poet, a writer, an editor, and a teacher. And he had traveled the world and was a charismatic speaker as well. And he was part of this organization under the auspices of the Jesuits. And who was Sister Catherine Clark? Sister Catherine Clark, originally Catherine Clark, was a laywoman, a married woman with two children. In 1940, she, along with two men who had just graduated from Harvard College, who were in fact Catholic converts, she started um, an organization called St. Benedict Center. And the purpose of that organization, which was an actual place, uh, a place they rented right near Harvard Square, was to allow Catholic students at Harvard and Radcliffe to have a place to meet where they could engage on issues of their Catholicism. So she alone was the founder, and then she brought Father Feeney in several years later. Huh. And then in 1949, I believe it was Father Feeney, or maybe Father Feeney and uh, Catherine Clark, uh, founded the organization that your parents joined, uh, the Slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That sounds pretty serious. Uh, It was serious, and in fact, it was... Uh, created in response to the fact that Father Feeney and other members of the St. Benedict Center, which included my parents, were increasingly under pressure to uh, use their influence not to be a force for separation between the Catholic Church and other religions, but rather to accept the fact that ecumenism was part of what Catholics should engage in. But in fact, they chose not to participate in that, but rather to express their strong conviction that the dogma of the Catholic Church, which said you had to be Catholic to be saved, i.e. to get to heaven, was something that they were not willing to compromise in any way. And when the Boston Church authorities and the Jesuits pressured them not to speak about 
no salvation as a dogma of the Catholic Church. They realized that they were pitting themselves against the Catholic hierarchies, and that was when they formed this religious community, which my parents joined uh, in January Mm. of 1949. And your father, uh, Jim Walsh, uh, he was a Navy veteran, and he also was a, was a teacher, and he uh, figures in this whole uh, episode with a couple of other uh, professors at Boston College. Can you tell us about that? Yes. After the war, my father was on the GI Bill to get a master's degree in philosophy from Boston College. And it was there he met one of his professors who introduced him to St. Benedict Center. He was Catholic. The professor was Catholic. And my father at that point was a single man of the age of 29, having been in the war for four years. And he found the center a really welcoming place. And yet, if you remember, Boston College is a Jesuit school. And so when Father Feeney's uh, disposition towards the, the dogma of no salvation outside the Catholic Church became an issue... My father, who was teaching at Boston College, was warned, do not speak of that dogma. And my father said, I'm sorry, that is a dogma of the church, and I will not tell you that I will not speak it. So he put himself in a position uh, to ultimately be fired, which he was, along with the other professors. Hmm. And... Then in 1949, when your parents and, and your, well, let me ask you about your, your mom. Uh, her, uh, she was known as Betsy in the outside world? She was. She uh, grew up right outside of Harvard Square, and she grew up Episcopalian. And when she was a very little girl, she had what she will call her moment of grace, in which she saw a, prof- a procession, a Corpus Christi procession, And at that moment, she said that she wanted to become Catholic and see God the way Catholics do. And so at the age of 16, she uh, was taking instruction because her parents did not really want her to become Catholic. And then at the age of 18, the priest that was instructing her brought her to St. Benedict Center so that she could meet Father Feeney. And it was Father Feeney who three weeks later baptized her and it was on that day that she also met my father, and six months later, they were married. By Father Feeney, right? By Father Feeney, yes, in September of 1947. Hmm. Now, at first, so you went to live in this center. Uh, can you explain how that happened? Well, my parents, when they got married, they actually, on the GI Bill, they bought a three-family house in North Cambridge, And seven months later, when my father was fired, along with the other professors, and after they had formed this little religious community in which they promised to obey Father Feeney, an agreement was kind of made that they would all pitch in and help each other. And at that point, my parents sold their three-family house and donated the proceeds to the center. And it was kind of emerging from that that the families, still living as families, but each with their own separate apartment, came together um, in a cluster of houses that was just a few blocks away from where the center was located. So you you don't remember life before the the center, uh, correct? That is correct. I was truly born into it, yes. And at first, 
it sounds like you enjoyed life there at the center. You write, my earliest memories are filled with the sounds of laughter. Very much so. So the community was ultimately, at that 1949 period into 1950, about 60 grown-ups. There were 12 married couples and then an array of other single men and women. And at that time, there were only about four children. But as these families uh, came together, pretty soon four children, about five or six years later, had become 39 children. And that brought us to a community of about 100 people. And while I had my family life with my father and my mother and eventually four more siblings, Mm -hmm. our communal life was a very important part. We had mass said in, said in a secret way because by that time we were not in favor with the Catholic Church. Uh, but we had all of our meals together, and all of what I call these aunts and uncles took me places, held my hand, took me down to the Charles River, took me walking into the center. And I grew up in this environment of all of these, frankly, many of them brilliant young men and women, adults, uh, that were surrounded me in my family, and yet at nighttime it was the family, and we all slept together and got up together in the morning, and were very much a family unit. Our guest is Patricia Walsh Chadwick, who was raised in a strict but excommunicated Roman Catholic community in Massachusetts. Patricia was Father Leonard Feeney, one of the founders of this community. Was he actually excommunicated? He ultimately was. He had, the issues in facing him were that his Jesuit superior said, okay, you're not going to be at the center anymore, and you're not even going to be at Boston College. I want you to go out to Worcester, and you will teach English at uh, Holy Cross College, another Jesuit college. And Father Feeney refused to do that. Subsequently, when he was silenced by the Archbishop of Boston, Archbishop Richard Cushing, he Uh, as well as my father, the professors that were fired, uh, turned to Rome. They turned to the Vatican. And the Pope's office, not the Pope himself perhaps, but his office basically said to Father Fini, you need to come over to Rome and there will be an inquiry. We will talk about it. And he refused to do that. So ultimately, the excommunication, which came through in 1953, was not because he held a dogma, which... We all know the Catholic Church did subscribe to, but rather it was for disobedience. Hmm. Now, when you were five, I guess it would be about 1953, the uh, organization at this uh, commune or center changed everybody's names. Your father became Brother James Aloysius, and your mother became Sister Elizabeth Ann, and, and I don't know if this is exactly when it happened, but more than just the name changing, they, in a way, were no longer your parents? Well, the community did really turn into a kind of monastic environment. We had silence in the hallways, and again, I no longer called my parents mummy and daddy. I addressed them uh, by their religious names, and in fact, their clothes all changed. They now wore long black skirts and uh, black shoes. Everybody was dressed identically. The men wore black suits. And so you could, 
identify us very much as standing out from, from secular people in the world. And in fact, Father then started to change the children's names, and I had my own name changed, and I was known then as Mary Patricia, and my name was changed to Anastasia. That was the way huh. it was pronounced, very much a Latin way of pronunciation. And eventually, uh, the, this uh, center or commune uh, forbade the married couples from having sex? <laughs> well, the first step was that the children, who were three years or older, and in 1954 I was six, so in my family, which where we were five children and two parents, my, myself, my next sister, and my brother in 19... 19- 54, so I was six, my sister Kathy was five, and my brother David was three, we were separated from our parents, and the two babies stayed with my parents until they became three years old. And we then lived communally, the little girls, who were now called Little Sisters, therefore the name of the book, uh, lived on separate floors from the little brothers, and the parents still lived together. But shortly after that, and of course I didn't know it at the time, but my parents uh, spoke of it uh, after, many years later, Father Feeney went to my parents and said, have you thought, would you be willing, however he might have approached it to them, to take a vow of celibacy? And my father told me, he said, absolutely not. And my mother had said that she was really hoping to have 12 children. At that time, maybe that was idealistic. At any rate, when they said no, Father Feeney came back to them and eventually told them that all the other couples had agreed, and they were the only holdouts. And at the time, my parents felt that if they did not succumb to the pressure, they would be forced to leave. And the reason they wanted to stay was they felt that we, their five children, would get the best Catholic education. And so for that reason, they made the sacrifice. We're listening to Patricia Walsh Chadwick, author of the memoir, Little Sister. At the St. Benedict Center, Chadwick first liked it at the beginning, but as time went on, it got stricter and stricter. She said there was no sexual abuse ever at the center. I asked her, though, if there were things she didn't like. Was there physical abuse? There was. Uh, This was a rule-bound place, and the rules were numerous. There was a point in time when we moved from Cambridge up to Still River, and Sister Catherine had explained to us as children, I was nine at the time, that this was going to be a wonderful new opportunity for us. We were going to be out in the fields, and we were going to have horses and ponies and cats and dogs, and it seemed so exciting. And, in fact, it was exciting, and moving up there was exhilarating, and I kept thinking, ah, this is a new life now, and everything will be exciting and wonderful. And then it wasn't long before the new rules that were imposed once we moved out to, um, once we moved out to Still River were so much more onerous than what we had had in Cambridge uh, that it was it was night and day. Suddenly, we were told we could not even speak to our parents. Then we were told that we couldn't even hold hands with each other. The 
punishments for disobeying or even forgetting were extremely harsh. And instead of having a, your mother or your father overseeing you, we had what were called angels. And there were eight angels, and each angel had four to five children. There were 39 children, so there were eight angels. And each angel could discipline the five children however she chose. And some were pretty laid back, and others uh, were extremely tough on the children. And there was a, the, pun, the corporal punishment was often done with a huge strap or with a hose that was actually called the big punisher, which we were never supposed to see, but I guess little by little as children got beaten with it, and I fortunately only got beaten with it twice, but other children could get it for days on end. And so there was a lot of physical abuse. Now, I think it is important to put some of that in context, the 1950s and the early 1960s, I would say, was a period of time when there was a much more traditional, old-fashioned, I would almost call 19th century way of upbringing. And you mm. obeyed or you got punished. So I'm not necessarily saying that the punishments were way out of line with what might have been done in that era. But the important thing was our parents never knew. They were oblivious mm. to it because it was hidden from them. And had they known, I think there would have been a lot of changes made. After graduating from high school, Patricia Walsh Chadwick was expelled from the center. The authorities there said she did not have a clear vocation to become a nun. When she was out of the center, she went to work uh, after uh, studying at a secretarial school in Boston, where she met my wife, Mary Cudmore. Uh, My wife died a number of years ago, but Patricia Walsh Chadwick says Mary Cudmore was her first friend on the outside, if you will. She was truly one of the most wonderful people. I was so naive. I had not, I knew no swear word. I didn't even know slang. And she was more than like like a big sister. She had a beautiful sense of humor, as well you know. She was caring. She was kind. But I didn't know how to tell her where I had come from. It was so bizarre, and I didn't know even how to describe my family. And so I never told her. Several times I thought, maybe if I tell Mary, she'll understand. She'll help me. But I never got up the gumption to, to tell her. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590, 100.5, plus two North Country signals, 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. Our guest was Patricia Walsh Chadwick, author of the new memoir, Little Sister, about her life growing up in an excommunicated Roman Catholic commune. This program is online at bobcudmore.com and albanymagic.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.